0: Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The
1: Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now.
0: A debt ceiling budget agreement has been reached, and we are waiting to see if it passes a MAGA-controlled house. We will break down what's in it and what is not.
1: And joining us for our interview to urge us all into action to win in 2024 is Democratic campaign veteran and progressive media trailblazer, the one and only Mike Lux. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jessica Craven. And And this this is is How how We win. Win.
0: Hey, Jessica, sending our love and good healing vibes to Jennifer, who uh, I guess did something to her ankle and has a very bad ankle injury. So
1: Yeah, yeah. She's I'm- experiencing the wonderful American medical care system today, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good times.
0: Yeah, good times. Um, yeah. But speedy recovery. She's at the doctor, I guess, as we speak. So, yes, um, yeah. It's just the two of us again. Um, and uh, I also want to say we're one day shy of Pride Month, but I think it's appropriate to say happy Pride and yes. uh, excited to celebrate. Uh, every year it's important to celebrate Pride Month. Uh, it just feels more and more important every year as, um, you know, uh, so many groups are being attacked by, uh, by the MAGA Republicans, but LGBTQ plus, you know, communities are just under attack. And, you know, the, uh, the, what we see in Florida, what we see the attack on trans kids uh, as this like weird culture war issue that Republicans have, have seized on to. I'll say one one thing, like as a candidate uh, running for office, I had to call people and ask them for money, right? We, we know that's part of it. Right. And I called someone that I sort of knew from a gym that I used to go to who I thought was maybe libertarian. I knew he was a Republican or something. I don't know. Mm. But my call time manager said, just call him because that's her job is to make me call people. And he was a Republican, and he said, I, you know, I'm, I'm a Republican, but I like you, and I think you're a good guy. And, uh, and I said, well, that's fine. I said, you know, well, what, what are the uh, top issues? Like, what's the number one issue that, uh, that concerns you right now here in uh-huh. Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. And he was like, wow, oh, that's hard. Um, I guess trans kids—
1: uh, and you're like, uh, what about trans kids? Yeah, that's, what'd you say? That's what trans he said. Trans kids, like supporting them or a po- like with no, like no. the attacks on them? Like how, oh no! Like
0: like like kids identifying as a gender uh, that's they're not born in. That's his top issue. I was like, wow, that's Mm. the number one issue. That right there is someone who has been indoctrinated by the, you know, hateful right-wing media. And we'll talk about it a little bit with Mike Lux later on. Yeah. But, you know. People experiencing homelessness? No, that's not your top issue. That's most people's top issue in Los Angeles. The, mm-hmm. the economy? I mean, you're a Republican. How about just, you know, some economic issues? Cost of living? No, that's Price not your top Price
1: gouging by giant corporations, maybe? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah okay, nope.
0: sure. Mm-hmm. Nope, nope. It's um. It's how kids are identifying and... Um, you know, That's so, privilege
1: talking to you right there, right? Isn't yeah, that privilege? It's, it's just like I got nothing else to worry about. I'm going to worry about this. Oh
0: God, you're so you're so right. But it's so yeah. sick, and and I, you know, <sighs> it's a it's a terrible story to tell. But I just want to uplift and celebrate uh, Pride Month in a, in a meaningful way this year because, uh, it, you know, it's been a tough tough year. Um, the attacks have, have been coming for the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, all over the country, and I'm proud to be here in California, where we uh, we are a beacon uh, and a safe haven. In some places, not everywhere. Hello, Huntington yeah. Beach. But um, yeah. Anyway.
1: Yeah, I, I second that. As as the mom, as the proud mom to a, a queer kid, I love Pride. It might my, my kid says it's the happiest month of the year for them. I yeah. mean, I think we really need to remember that the idea behind Pride is it is the one time of the year when we we put. It's not the one time of the year, but for my child, when they came out, they told me that going to a family pride event was the happiest day of their life mm. thus far because it felt they felt centered amongst their own for the first time we live in a heteronormative society everything is geared towards oh little girl who were what boy are you gonna marry when you grow up it's all and and going somewhere where suddenly the the lens is shifted over for my child it was like a it was it was a a miracle to just be amongst to, to feel normal amongst uh, the crowd is a really wonderful thing. Um, So yeah, there's many reasons to celebrate pride, but it's very personal in our household. So yeah, Yeah,
0: I love that. Um, Yeah. Okay, well, uh, let's talk about the top news of the week. And uh, same news as the last few weeks, at least the top news item is um, Republicans who want to default on our debt. But a debt ceiling agreement has been made, has been brokered uh, between McCarthy, the li- Republican leader of the House, and Joe Biden, our president. Um, you have a great breakdown of what's in it and what isn't. And I should just add, it's as we record this, uh, there has been some pretty good opposition from the MAGA Republicans uh, to this plan. So it's not a done deal yet. Um, but uh, tell us uh, about – our new budget agreement.
1: Okay, well, yeah, very briefly, I got invited to a White House briefing on Sunday night for they—they uh, they were trying to get the word about what was in the deal to uh, political content creators because they're trying to spread the news in you know across various platforms. Uh, The one thing they left out of the briefing, uh, unfortunately, was is is my least favorite part of the deal, which I'll talk about in a second. That sort of got buried in the, uh, you know, the fine print, as it were. Mm -hmm. But really, largely, this deal is a victory for Democrats. Right. If you think about where we were coming from and what Republicans were asking for and demanding and saying they were going to crash the economy over, we got essentially uh, instead of the 22 percent cuts that Kevin McCarthy wanted over 10 years. We got no cuts and no increases, but no cuts for two years. We got the debt ceiling negotiations pushed down the line for two years. So no more debt ceiling arguments until after the next presidential election. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, untouched, right? So those things are great. Climate provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act, untouched. Student uh, debt forgiveness, Untouched. That doesn't mean that the Supreme Court is going to, you know, that it obviously it's still in the Supreme Court. But if they allow it, uh, it will be it will be allowed to go forward. That was something Republicans really were coming for, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, So what got what did get touched was SNAP. Uh, There is some uh, uh, tightening of the work requirement rules for people between the age of 48 and 52, but those are only uh, they they phase in over three years. And they sunset in 2030. And then the other big ding we did take was that the uh, IRS lost 20 of the $80 billion in funding that it received in the Inflation Reduction Act. And I do think it's worth noting that this is the hill Republicans wanted to die on, was making sure that rich people can't be audited more. I mean, really, that's it. Why
0: would they want... Why would they want to cut down on the, uh, the the police force that holds rich people accountable for cheating on their taxes? Why would
1: they right. want to do that? Why it's really like they can't imagine a fate worse than rich people paying taxes like that for them. That's all they see. That if they can stop that, that they, they feel they've done their job, and so they they got their twenty billion dollars in cuts. And then the the other thing is that Joe Manchin got his goddamn pipeline he got the mountain Mm. valley pipeline and that this is the part that the white house left out of their briefing i found out about it this morning it sort of is dawning on all of the environmentalists that this is happening and it's bad so what we're trying to do is get that as well yeah yeah right exactly i mean absolutely most uh, uh impactful for indigenous communities who have been trying to stop this and environmental justice communities people in west virginia Many of them do not want this pipeline. Um, it'll it'll have the emissions of something like I don't know like some God knows number of coal plants. It's bad. It's just bad. And uh, I think Biden needs to try to save Joe Manchin because he wants to keep the Senate seat mm-hmm. and he felt that this was necessary to save. I mean, it's it's politics, but and it's he also, might be
0: right about that too. Yeah? But it's you know, uh, like the Manchin problem is real. Yeah, the Manchin problem.
1: Right. And, it's a, and it's, a, it's a calculation. You have to sort of think, okay, well, we give away this terrible thing, but we get to keep all the other provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act. And then going forward, maybe we hold the Senate and then maybe we do a bunch more stuff. So it's, I, I am angry about it, but I also understand that this is sort of reality and that unfortunately, it, we didn't win the House. If we had won the House, this would not have been a conversation.
0: We did not. But yeah, we, we talk not. about that in our interview with Mike as well. So we don't need to belabor that now. No, not at all.
1: And I won't. I won't. (laughs) But but more or less, I mean, I think more or less people are going to end up seeing this as a big win for Joe Biden and the Democrats if it goes through even with the Mountain Valley pipeline. And maybe we'll get them to strip that before Wednesday. You know, maybe by the time you hear this podcast, that will be out of the bill. But I doubt it. I
0: doubt it, but you never know. But I, I do have hope that we will avoid, uh, you know, the utter catastrophe that would be not raising the debt ceiling and defaulting on our on our uh, debts and defaulting on our loans here. And, um yeah. me too, me too. You know, generally speaking, I hate to say this out loud. I shouldn't be recording it on a podcast either, but I've seen us come to the brink so many times. And it's like this sick game of chicken that has just real implications on folks' lives. But we always seem at the zero hour to kind of eke out some kind of deal. And, yeah. uh, and um, I guess w- our role in it that it really reinforces is what we need to do as activists – like, the, the work that we've been doing over these weeks, calling our representatives and making noise and creating the public sentiment to put pressure on, on folks to get this deal done, that's what we always need to do. And when we do that, it works. We really right. do have agency. We really do have power. So I guess that's the point that, I, that I'm making. You know, when we show up and put our, you know, put our thumb on the scale, uh, we, we really can make an impact.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that we have gone through this over and over again. And I do think Americans are very tired and angry that we keep getting dragged through this drama. But I also, I hope, and I think that they can see that it is not Democrats dragging us through this drama. Yeah, Every time. (laughs) It's the (laughs) same party. So I don't know when they get tired enough of that, maybe they'll start voting for, you know, the party that doesn't constantly create you know a life or death situation but yeah no it's it's no fun to keep going through this and the media plays a part and republicans play a part and it, it is it's tiring i think we need to get rid of the debt ceiling i think we're the only country other than denmark that even has this this oh. whole process yeah
0: that's an yeah. interesting point yeah
1: yeah yeah if we don't need it it's it's needless most countries think we're nuts for doing it this way the government just raises the debt ceiling when they need to in every other country but us in Denmark.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about another news item really quickly. And, and this, uh, I, I won't talk about it too much because it's part of my reason for hope, but uh, this is breaking news. The uh, um, So I have such mixed feelings. We were talking about this before we recorded uh, about this story, but the Sackler family uh, can be shielded from opioid liability appeals court rules the decision gives the Purdue Pharma owners long-sought protection but it will release billions of dollars from their fortune to states and communities to help cope with the costs of addiction so basically this is breaking news that we are dissecting kind of in real time as we're recording this podcast but we've covered uh, a lot about um, these these cases and just the opioid epidemic over the last few years on this show um, because we are woefully underfunded in our country when it comes to folks who are experiencing uh, addiction and uh, of any form, or, or yep. in, in mental health. You know, we don't even have the professionals to, to treat people. We don't have the beds for people. Um, yep. the, the resources are are few and far between when someone finally reaches out for help. And, uh, and so of course we want to see the Sackler family held accountable. We want to see them do, you know, jail time. Uh, and this is a, uh, a ruling that gives them full immunity from all civil legal claims, not yeah. criminal. There's, they can still be liable for criminal claims, uh, but it's going to release $6 billion of that family's fortune into the communities, into these folks who are struggling uh, into programs, interventions and, and uh, all over the country that are suffering in this opioid crisis. And that is huge. That's uh, on top of the 500 million that they've already paid out, but six billion dollars uh, is going to save a lot of lives and uh, and it's going it's a meaningful, meaningful investment that we're not getting anywhere else. So I don't know, uh mixed feelings because i i like to see justice served and and folks accountable but in a way this is justice served because 6 billion dollars of their money that's all, i mean
1: i mean it's the gdp of a you know small country it's a ton yeah. of money and yeah it's great that that money will be going into uh, opioid treatment i mean I, i'm with you i'm ambivalent you know the sacklers should all be in jail um but this is probably the next best thing: is just taking all their money. Or I don't know how much they're actually worth, so I don't know what percentage of this of their yeah. net worth this is. But, but yeah, we need a lot. We need many, many more resources than we have, uh, and this this is a good start. Yeah. yeah.
0: And they've had a bankruptcy uh, proceeding going on that has held up the distribution of these funds in cases that have already been awarded uh, settlements, and um, and so this releases that, and so you know the positive spin on this is that folks are finally going to get the the money that they need, you know, from these settlements. And um, so uh, I'm taking it as a win uh, and, you know, there's, you know, hu- literally hundreds of criminal cases still pending against them. So uh, they very well may end up uh, in jail too, but um, yeah. this is, I- I'm taking it as a win because we, you know, we need the investment.
1: Yeah, I guess the theme of the podcast is uh you know the 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 perfect is the enemy of the good. It's like you know these <laughs> yeah, are all right. these are these are all deals that are you know they're not perfect and 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 we're not getting stuff that we should be getting but on the other hand you have to sort of uh you sometimes got to just take the deal you get and celebrate the fact that it's way better than it could have been. And this is yeah
0: that's That's it you I mean there's always some kind of compromise, and you got to look and say, are we in a better place now than we were before this and uh, right. and certainly releasing six billion dollars of funds for opioid treatment is a way better place than where we were last week, so yeah you know yeah
1: yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take it. I think it's pretty good, all things considered, so yeah well the the other item I grabbed right again before we started recording was just I saw a, a news uh, notification about um Halifax, Nova Scotia, which happens to be right near a place where I spend a great deal of time during the summers. My family's been going up to Nova Scotia for 30 years Mm. during the summer. And Halifax, right outside of Halifax, they have got such severe wildfires that they just evacuated... Something like 16,000 people. Wow. And uh, I mention it, you know, I I try to stay really positive, but I, I do mention it just to say that, you know, Nova Scotia has always in my mind been the place I would escape to if things got too bad here in California, you know. and so The weather was always right. perfect and, you know, sunny but lovely rain and just – and recently over the last several summers, it's gotten warmer and warmer. And this summer we've had fires all over, you know, uh, Calgary and then now Nova Scotia and Halifax. And it's it's just a really good reminder that there's no place to escape to when it comes to climate change. And this is why, you know, those of us who are climate activists get a little strident sometimes because it's like this is there will be no safe harbor. Um, And it is – I do feel generally hopeful about where we're going. I do feel that there is a lot of progress being made. But when I see things like this, you know, the urgency can't be overstated. It is – there there are no vacation spots anymore that are not themselves being affected by climate change in really serious ways. So, you know, if you're not talking to your lawmakers about climate change, now is the time to say to them – what are you doing? And why aren't you doing more? Almost across the board, unless your, you know, senator is Ed Markey or something. I mean, pretty or much. Or Joe Manchin. <laughs> oh, Joe Manchin, hero of the climate movement. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you know what I mean? Yeah, well, he's just not gonna listen. But the, the yeah, I mean we, we just all need to probably ratchet it up even more because it's getting it's getting serious, even in the places where, you know, that seem to be sort of exempt. There's yeah. no exemptions. So that's I don't mean to be a downer, but it's just something. Not a downer.
0: To no, it's it's take a great note of it's a great point and obviously uh, the most dire existential threat to humanity that we have and the one issue that everybody should be on the same page about and it should be the most important issue that we we face because it affects everyone. And um what We were talking about briefly before we started recording. uh, You and I were both at the California Democratic Party convention over the weekend. Yes, we were. Still recovering from, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Left uh, a good chunk of my soul there at the convention center. But um, (sighs) one thing that I saw around climate is um, now you know I'm a 30 year union member, SAG AFTRA member, but um, there is has been a you know a, a, a little conflict between I say a little conflict it's been a huge conflict between yep. environment the environmental movement and some of the trade unions simply because their members work in fossil fuel jobs or jobs yep. that you know that are dependent on that and I was up in meetings in Sacramento talking to some boilermakers and uh, these were great guys who were terrified about what they were going to do. Talked to this one guy who had three kids and he didn't know what job he was going to get and how he was going to live and take care of his family if he lost his, his job. Um, So, you know, this has been a point of tension that has made it hard for us to move forward. And what I heard and language from, um, from the unions at the convention was that we were, Really on the same page about investing in the transition, making sure workers aren't left behind, being more aggressive about that because as you just articulated, the writing is on the wall. Yeah. No one can deny that we that we must move to a green economy. That we must move away from fossil fuels, and um, and you you just can't pretend that that's not going to happen anymore. Uh, you have to be a partner in preparing for that transition. So it was that that is a reason for hope uh, in terms of the language and the partnerships that I saw coming out of the convention over the weekend.
1: Yeah, it's true. And Steve and I did not talk about this before, but it, I had the exact same impression when we were listening. I don't remember if it was during the general session or one of the caucus meetings, but there there was a a, a presence, a union presence in the climate discussions and particularly building and trades, which is sort of known to be the most recalcitrant around climate stuff that they were talking about climate and a green transition and a just transition and, and green jobs, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Um, and actually, in the environmental caucus meeting, we had uh, one of the panelists worked at works now uh, at an oil drilling site in California, and was talking about how they are what they're talking about and how they are planning to transition and, and what that's going to look like. And that they are in the process of sort of plotting that out and this was really hopeful. You know, he said I work for an oil refinery and I feel like the sort of the awkward sort of man out in this room but nobody booed. Nobody said get out of here, oil man. There was a real sense in the room of like right and we are we're here to help each other sort of figure this out. It it felt good. It was uh it was encouraging.
0: Yeah. I think where I heard that language was actually in the labor caucus. Uh, oh, and, right! Uh, from from some of the folks speaking there, and. Um, uh, I definitely took notice, and and it's great because we need to we need to all partner on this. It's uh, yeah. you know our very future depends on it. Right. Um, right. I don't know why I laugh when I say that because it's nervous <laughs> laughter. It's nervous, nervous laughter. laughter. Yeah, whistling in the graveyard. <sighs> Absolutely. Um, all right. Yeah. So having said that, um, you've got a good chop wood, carry water action item for us today. What is it?
1: Yeah, well, what I'm doing today and what I've asked my readers to do in my newsletter is simply to call your lawmakers and, you know, to call all three of them and just sort of say, very glad that President Biden and Speaker McCarthy made a deal. Uh, Great, you know, congratulations, but I am very unhappy that this compromise forces the completion of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. And weakens the, it also weakens the National Environmental Protection Act. It doesn't gut it, but it weakens it. And uh, then, you know, we can just tell them Senator Kane of Virginia has already offered to introduce an amendment to remove this part of the bill. And I'm going to ask you to support it. I don't want to go backwards on climate. We can't permit new fossil fuel projects. This mm-hmm. is really important to me. Thank you very much. That's all. We only have a couple of days to do that because the bill is going to be voted on by Wednesday. Uh, so... You know, we may not get it, but we got to make the noise.
0: Yeah, we have to make the noise. We ha- and and keep making it, and and uh, even after this is done, keep making it. We know that uh, the recent UN report said unequivocally, no new fossil fuel projects. We, right. we will not uh, meet our goals of even if we do that. There's still a fifty percent chance that we can turn it around. Like it's it's dire. Yeah. So. um yeah we have to act aggressively. Thank you for that. We will do that. And um, uh, let's talk about our reasons for hope because it's been kind of a mixed, as <laughs> the news tends to be, mixed, little some dire stuff and some hopeful stuff. And, you know, I really talked about it already. My reason for hope: the six billion to address the opioid crisis. I I think that that's really hopeful, and um, and that uh, I have a two for you know, kind of the language I heard coming out of convention and uh, and you know us all being on the same page with the urgency of the climate uh, crisis we're in. That gives me hope too that we'll actually be able to you know pass some real legislation without opposition to to move forward there. So I talked about it already. Let's uh, what's your reason for hope?
1: Well, I'll tell you, uh, I heard at the California Democratic Party convention. I'm not sure exactly why he was there and I'm not (laughs) sure if you saw him, but I got to hear. I got a picture uh, with him. Oh, uh, with Maxwell Frost? I did, oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> man,
1: it was, I'll tell you, the most exciting celebrity sighting I've had maybe in my entire life was on Saturday morning walking into the convention hall. And as I'm walking through the hallway, walking past Katie Porter, just chatting it up with Maxwell Frost in the hallway, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, I got a selfie with her. I did not get one with him. But anyway, I got to hear him speak not once but twice. And uh, that guy is on fire. Mm -hmm. He is incredible. He is – there is just so much uh, uh, intelligence and, and goodness and charisma Coming out of him, I got uh, serious, kind of like, wow, maybe I'm, maybe I'm looking at a future president here. I don't know mm-hmm. what's happening, but this guy's given me all the feels. And uh, there was one thing he said where he, he was talking about universal health care, and he was talk telling a story about talking to a, an unhoused person about how he supported, you know, health care for all and, and Medicare for all, and how the unhoused person uh, said to him, "Wow, I, I, what would I have to do to deserve that?" And Maxwell Frost said, You see, this is what America is suffering from is this idea that we don't deserve health care, that we don't deserve basic human rights. And and you know, what is it gonna take for this country to believe that we deserve health care? And everybody in the room was on their feet, and it it just (laughs) he's wonderful and he's got passion, he's got a vision, he is not afraid to be a progressive. He is unequivocal about his progressive values, and uh, he's young. And he gives me a great—he's—he's he's, you know from Florida. He gives me a, a great de- deal a of A young hope.
0: Democrat from Florida that came, you know, came out of the gun safety movement, out of yeah. out of trauma, and and yeah. Uh, yeah, he's incredible yeah. and I did get to say hi to him and take a picture and our listeners will remember our incredible interview with him. Yeah. You can go back and find a previous episode where uh, I was lucky enough to have an interview with him and experienced all of what you di- just described. Yeah. If, if our listeners haven't heard that one, go back and find the Maxwell Frost interview because, man, I mean – and he's – I think he's still – 25 right has he turned 26 Ray, yet
1: I, I don't think I know he's not yet 30. He, he's really someone to watch he's he's remarkable it what you know not to like belabor how young
0: he is because there's a lot of young people who are doing incredible work and are, are worthy of that of that job oh yeah it's just really exciting to think of how much farther he has to go like being so young like you talk about president sure you know i mean his trajectory who knows you know he's the youngest member of congress and just getting started and he's already a superstar so
1: yeah he's he's 26 i just googled it that he's 26. 26 he just turned 26 yeah, yeah. when i was 26 i was not doing what maxwell frost is doing right now i'll just tell you that i um <laughs> what was i doing yeah, I was I wasn't playing doing some that. guitar. I was a pretty good guitar yeah. player when I was 26. <laughs> I, think I, w- I think I was also singing in a band. So that's, uh, yeah, that's where we were. There we go. He's wonderful. He Yeah, it gives me hope knowing he's in the world and that he's on our team. So,
0: Well, speaking of hope, uh, Mike Lux is coming up with a great interview and a lot of hope that requires us to act. So stay tuned for our interview with Mike Lux. Mike Lux is a co-founder of Democracy Partners, launched in 2011, and has been the CEO of his own consulting firm, Mike Lux Media, since 1999, has served um, an amazing array of clients from Planned Parenthood to MoveOn.org. He's also been featured on various news outlets, including CNN and MSNBC, and he's the author of the widely praised book, The Progressive Revolution, How the Best in America Came to Be. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Uh, I'm ha- happy to do it, delighted to do it. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, the, of this podcast, so and I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of very many podcasts, so.
0: Well, now I'm now I don't know what to say. I'm blushing and I appreciate that very much. Um,
1: That's high praise coming from Mike Lux.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm going to we'll use that in all of our promos from now on. But um, (laughs) um, thank you for that. Um, We have a lot to talk about, including this great uh, piece that you recently wrote. But before we do that, I mean, you've served as a senior staffer or an advisor on six different presidential campaigns. What was your first one? And how did you first get into this work?
2: Well, um, I, uh, I was involved as a volunteer with, um, uh, with Walter Mondale's campaign in 1984, very active uh, volunteer uh, in Iowa. Um, uh, but my first staff position was actually, was with the very first Joe Biden presidential campaign um, oh. uh, which was, which was back in 1987. Uh, um, so, uh, you, 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 he's you finally did it. You finally time. got him in <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was my first, uh, full-time, uh, uh, senior staff job. Uh, and that was, that was a really great experience. Uh, he's, he's, he is a lot of fun to, uh, uh, to work with. And, uh, then, then as now, you know. Uh, was really focused on uh, the kind of working, working in middle class families that that I've always uh, been focused on, uh, and so uh, that, that was it was a great it was a great first experience.
1: That is so cool! What an amazing track record you have, Mike Lux. It's really <laughs> impressive. Um, I, I'm I'm going to ask a follow up question on that. Um, well, it's it it jumps a little bit, but I have talked about this piece, so you shared a piece uh, recently called Democrats Could Win a Trifecta in 2024, and I talked about that piece uh, as my reason for hope on this podcast the first time uh, I joined, and uh, we've talked about it a lot in terms of giving us all hope. And will you talk a little bit, uh, with with all of your long wisdom and experience, when you write a piece saying we could win a trifecta in 2024, that is something that um, makes many of us sit up and take notice and feel, you know, hopeful. So can you summarize a little bit what what you say in there and what inspired you to write it?
2: Um sure. Uh, uh of course. I, you know, um the the prediction game in politics is is always uh uh, uh you know, a, a little funky and um I don't I don't consider this a prediction uh a, a, as much as a um, w- we can do this and we will do this if we if we pursue the right strategy and do the work um and I'm uh I'm I'm I, I tend to be relatively optimistic, but I've also uh you know, uh I have also like in 2016 when everybody was saying Hillary was a lock um I was I was telling people privately uh I was at the DNC at the time, uh, I was telling people that I was very worried that I, that I thought we were, uh, we were in much worse trouble than uh, everybody else seemed to think. So, um, uh, you know, after you've been, been around for a while, you get kind of a good feel as to what's going on. And um, I think that uh, the, the interesting thing about 2024 is that I think the fundamentals are, uh, uh, are, are, are good for us. Um, and when I say the fundamentals, I, I think every every election has a certain set of Dynamics going into it that make it very challenging or or uh or or or, or more hopeful um and I think the fundamentals in this one uh, make me more hopeful um uh, one one is that uh as as 2018 2020 and 2022 demonstrated uh uh voters in this era really uh uh, they, they don't like Trump, uh, they don't like Trumpism uh, and that when there's a focused campaign um, uh, that uh, we tend to win the swing states um, and, and for that matter, the, the, the swing districts mm-hmm. Um our, our track record in terms of doing that um, over the last few elections is is very strong. And when I look at the, at the bottom lines, when I look at, uh, for example, uh, when, when, when I look at the the issue agenda and what side is more popular, uh, on the issues, uh, it's, it's strongly in favor of, uh, of the Democrats. When I look at the, 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 the demographics, uh, and, um, how different demographic groups are voting or not voting, uh, um, that looks strong for us as well. Um, uh, uh, when you see how we did in the swing, uh, the competitive elections in 2022, especially the statewide competitive elections, but but in general, um, uh, you know, we 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 did very well. Um, so it, it's a it's a bunch of those different things. The the other thing that I pay particular attention to is working class. Uh, voters mm-hmm. uh, and that that has multiple different defi- definitions um, um, uh, you know I think some people think of it as non-college educated and that's uh, that 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 description's a little uh <laughs> a little loose but um, but when you look at the sort of classic working class and sorry, when you look at the classic working class uh, districts uh, and states, um, we, we, uh, that are battleground, uh, not, not the ones that are heavily Republican or heavily Democrat, but the, that are battleground. Um, we did really well. We, and, and we did really well in, in the congressional uh, districts, for example, the kind of classic, I have a project I call Factory Towns Project. And in the classic Factory Towns district, um, uh, we, we won most of those races. Uh, and that, to me, that's like, that's the best sign there is that twenty twenty four could be very strong.
1: It was interesting seeing those new numbers coming out of Wisconsin, right? The the voter uh, turnout numbers in Wisconsin that they seem to have just published those uh, definitively in the last couple of days, didn't it? Was something like a one point eight million million uh, voters turned out for this election, and it was like eight hundred thousand last time there was a yeah. state yeah. supreme court. Yeah, that's well, and, and
2: and if you look, I mean, one of the things one of the things that we uh, that we touched on, we didn't we didn't talk a lot about it in this memo, but in the elections so far this cycle. Um, we are winning most of the close elections, and we're winning it because of elevated Democratic turnout. People understand. <laughs> the Democrats understand the stakes in this election, and they really don't like that. They don't like Trump. They don't like Trumpism. Uh, uh, they 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 don't like uh, uh, anti-abortion candidates. Uh, you know they, they they don't like extremism. Uh, and that's what they're seeing from the Republicans. That,
1: and election uh, denial too, right? That that does very poorly at the polls. Election denial does
2: very poorly at the polls. Um, and um, as as we said in the memo, people who vote tend to like democracy. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of an interesting thing. know, <laughs> you want your vote to count. You want your vote to be taken seriously. Uh, and uh, obviously, there's there's a lot of folks who vote Republican, but but. But for for swing voters and for people who are who are trying to turn out, uh, uh, the 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 good thing for the Repo- for us is that the Republicans are do a great job of motivating our base, uh, and yeah. um, so they, they motivate their own base as well, no doubt about that. Uh, we're we're seeing we're seeing a, this a series of high turnout elections in the last few years, but uh, in a high turnout election, Democrats tend to win, um, because there are more Democrats than there are, uh, Republicans. Um, there, there, there are more, uh, pro-choice people than there are, uh, if you call it pro-life or whatever you call it, anti-abortion, uh, people, there are more pro-democracy people than there are election deniers there, you know, you go down the list on, on, on all those issues. There are more of us than there are of them, uh. Uh, so um, it's not that there aren't challenges to overcome. It's not that there aren't trouble spots, but uh, but the overall dynamics, the fundamentals, as I said earlier, are 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 in their favor.
0: I think that's right, and obviously the Republicans don't seem to learn any lessons, you know, uh, because they are so uh, hell bent on their agenda of hate and.
2: Uh, uh, well, and they're 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 locked in, uh, Steve. I mean, it, that's one of the, one of the problems for them is they they know some of this stuff is really unpopular. They know their position on right. abortion is really unpopular, but their own base won't let them move. Right. And and the problem with gerrymandered districts is they can't. <laughs> they're they are they have created these far right wing districts, and so they can't even they can't even edge toward the middle. Uh, otherwise they get primary challenges. Anyway, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but no, it's a,
0: it's a great, it's a great point. It's a great point. And, um, all, all of this resonates with our voters and with our volunteers, but, um, I'm still going to tell them, you know, that it's really important (laughs) to, I'm not going to take it for granted because, you know, uh, uh, and and I'm always looking at like Nothing Virginia. I'm always looking at yeah. Virginia too, you know, yeah. which is a a handy little bellwether to see where volunteer engagement is as well at, at that point in time too. So, um, yeah. you no, mentioned
2: Virginia, Virginia couldn't be more important. That my colleague Lauren Windsor, who who does these uh, kind of you know guerrilla journalism. Uh, yep, uh, she's uh, the best. Things with Republicans. Um, She recently got someone at at a RNC meeting to uh, record the speeches uh, and and give her the tapes. Uh, And one of the speakers was talking about how um, how important Virginia is to them in terms of, uh, you know, proving their agenda and giving giving their their folks lift and talked about how. And if we can take Virginia, we we can we can end uh, voting on college campuses and we can. We can shut down early voting. We can keep people from voting. It's really exciting if we could win. <laughs> <You> know,
0: <laughs> Jesus. They're,
2: they're, it's like they they openly, at least in these kinds of meetings, they they're telling their their people, that yeah, this is our goal. We we don't want people to vote. Uh and, and if we win, we we keep people from voting. So you know, it's just like there there's there's so many reasons people need to people need to get out and vote.
0: Well, we will yes. engage heavily in Virginia because we know how important it is and uh, we don't want to get any wind out of our sails. We've got to keep going strong. Um, you mentioned uh, Trump <laughs> and uh, and the distaste that uh, really everyone has for him and his okay. MAGA politics. Um, you had a 2018 book called How to Democrat in the Age of Trump. So uh, since you wrote that book, what have you learned since... The, the question says Trump era has evolved. I'm going to say Trump era has metastasized. Um, what lessons uh, do you think our listeners should take from it now?
2: Well, um, uh, what, one of them is uh, we, the Trump era is an era of high turnout. So we have to be really focused on turning out uh, our vote. And, and um, you know the, the the one thing that I that I have seen that makes me nervous um, uh, lately in the 22, 2022 cycle as well is um, we have just had to work a lot harder to get people to volunteer uh, to, uh, uh, to to come out knock on doors uh, make phone calls do texts do all of the, all do all of those things and. Um, but, but folks need to understand, volunteering is more important than ever because this is, this is going to be a high turnout election. Uh, 2020, 2020 broke all records in terms of turnout. 2018 broke all records in terms of a midterm turnout. I think 2024 is going to be e- even higher turnout than 2020. And, but the only way to turn people out, the only way to make sure Democrats get out to vote uh, is by volunteering. So that's, that's something I think that's, uh, that's really key.
0: Such a great point. Thank you for that. And, uh, Jessica and I were both spending the weekend at the California Democratic Party convention, uh, whose theme was "Don't Agonize, Organize." That's uh, Speaker Pelosi's yeah. quote that I've stolen for this show many, many times. <laughs> and um, you know, I uh, I chair our organizing committee with a, a statewide party, and oh, uh, right. you you talk about all of the engagement that we've had and, and the, these really important races that we won in in, uh, in the last midterms. 2022, But, you know, honestly, uh, we underperformed here in California and it cost us the house. Uh, There were some winnable seats that we fell short in uh, here and in New York. And it's not lost on me that California and New York are the two largest volunteer uh, bases that we have. Um, so that, that affirms your point and it really, uh, emphasizes how important it is that those volunteers who showed up for previous elections, who we, you know, we built, you know, they have to show up for this one, uh, because we can win. I, I, I love your memo and I agree with it a hundred percent, but, uh, it's going to take all of us making that a reality, not just waiting for it to happen.
1: Well, and I think we also have to pay a lot of attention to our own backyards, because I know that a lot of the California volunteers here got really caught up in elections in other parts of the country in the midterms, which was really important. Mm. But then we sort of, I mean, we tried to work on California congressional races, but obviously not enough. We just, yeah, we need more people and we need everybody sort of focusing on, on a bifurcated, you know, path of like my own backyard and... Pennsylvania or Wisconsin yeah. or
2: wherever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. We 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 need to do both uh, because because uh, you're you're absolutely right about California uh, and, uh, and and New York. Um, if if we had just performed at the level uh, that we had performed at in 2018, we would have kept the house easily. Um, but but we you know we we let those areas fall, and and you know it's interesting there's been a, a really good analysis about, uh, in the classic battleground states, um, uh, and, um, we, we just absolutely kicked ass, but it was in it sort of every place else that weren't like hyper focused, um, uh, on the election. Uh, that's where we fell short. Uh, and that's where it was more like a normal midterm in terms of both volunteer recruitment and and turnout um and hopefully 2024 it'll it'll be nationwide there'll be a nationwide movement uh and 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 we can get a lot of those seats back but it's you know it's just really critical. we it's so important to to get a trifecta because we just we just have seen right (laughs) the last couple weeks this crazy negotiation uh um the, the, the 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 republicans uh, have a, such a destructive wing of their party is now in charge of their party. Um, and, um, they're, they're, they're willing to do just truly, uh, insane things, uh, including, you know, not, not pay, not pay our, our debts, not, you know, shut down the whole government. And we, we just can't afford to have, uh, you know, terrible, crazy people in charge of our government, any, any part of our government, Um, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, it it isn't like, you know, when, when I was coming up in politics, uh, uh, you you know, and the Republicans would take over, you know, it it was painful, you know, we lost policy battles, but, um, but it wasn't like they were trying to uh, uh, completely destroy everything. This current generation of Republicans are trying to completely destroy every everything. They, 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 they want democracy to fail. Um, they, they want the government to be, you know, uh, utterly uh, and completely dysfunctional. They want our, you know, our enemies overseas like Russia to be successful. <laughs> I mean, th- this is a terribly destructive group of people, and 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 I think both voters and Democratic volunteers and
1: contributors need to understand that. And remember it consistently through every election, not just the big ones, the quote unquote big ones. Yeah, and to, and to engage early.
2: You know, I was I was talking. I don't want to name the group, but I was talking to the head of one of the big, uh, uh, you know, progressive groups this morning about the right. Uh, Move <laughs> on. Uh, I'm, I'm not, not, not going <laughs> to. Um, it was that she was saying, you know, that their their rank and file members. Are, are not very engaged in contributing right now. Mm. But but we have, I mean, the, the stakes are so high and we got to get people to engage early. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, okay, that's a great segue into what we do here on this show and so many other uh, progressive podcasts and media outlets do is to try to reach more volunteers and, and get people, sh- let people know the stakes, let them know the truth about what's going on and then propel them into action. Uh, you co-founded Air America, which I miss dearly. I, I loved listening to Air America. Um, how is your thinking uh, on progressive media changed over the years? What do you think is needed the most? I mean, obviously right-wing, uh, when it comes to alternative media, right-wing voices you know, own the battlefield and we are just fighting to inch back air uh, Every bit that we can, but you know, what's your thinking on that?
2: It's a it's a it's a very scary landscape, and and uh, and it's gotten scarier over the years. Uh, um, there there are now three uh, uh, media corporations, um, which are far right wing in nature. Sinclair is the one that everybody knows, but there's a couple of others that are sort of sisters to Sinclair in terms of their right wing ideology those three media companies now own 50 percent of uh of local tv stations Mm. Uh, so they control the news uh on on those local tv stations and it's and they it's like a propaganda it's like a a local fox news and if you go into uh, we I'm, i'm just in the process right now of uh doing an analysis in uh uh in different battleground states and um uh they they just they just dominate in uh those kind of small and medium-sized markets. Uh you know, Youngstown, Akron, Flint, uh you, you know, you you just you just go go down the list, uh the quad cities in you know, Iowa and Illinois, um, state after state, uh uh you, you know, and the, the these right wing uh um, yeah, media outlets just dominate them. So uh, we really need for uh progressive funders uh uh and 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 small dollar contributors uh to really engage in the media battle and to support um uh, media outlets that are more progressive or or that are just uh frankly i i would just take even <laughs> you, know, you know i i would just take like you know uh an an outlet that was neither progressive nor conservative because right now we got to have so much of the far right, um, and we just need we just need a variety of different kinds of media outlets. Um, now the good news is that a lot of people now are getting their information from a wide variety of sources. They're getting information now not just on their local TV station, but on podcasts and on you know different kinds of radio stations and on you know online different different news outlets that are that are based. Uh, uh you know online so um there there's there's uh there's a lot of different places where where people go are going to get their news but i can tell you that the landscape right now is overwhelmingly tilted toward the right yeah the media landscape
1: the tv news media landscape and 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 and, alternative yeah and 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 and, and radio too and Uh, radio too Mm.
2: Um, but especially TV.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, if you look at the podcast charts, like you know, the conservative podcasts are con, you know consistently flooding the top podcast ones. Even yeah. even the big shows like you know Pod Save America and 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 those uh, often are dwarfed by the you know I don't want to name the names, but the the not so truthy ones. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, the uh, fake newsy ones. The, yes, the, yeah. the alternative facts. Mm-hmm. Right. Right.
0: Well, um, we want to let you go, and we appreciate your time. It's so great to have you on, but we'll finish with the last question that we ask all of our guests. What brings you hope right now? You already gave us a whole lot of hope with your memo, but <laughs> what's bringing you hope right now?
2: You know, what's what's bringing me hope is that uh, the American uh, – People, the voters are are rejecting right wing extremism. Uh, you know, they, they did it in 2018, they did it in 2020, they did it in 2022. Not everywhere, not, you know, uh I mean there's there's still plenty of you know uh right wingers win an election, but um but but the overall trend is that Americans are rejecting that kind of extremism, even though it's being Spoon fed them on the local TV station, even though it's being spoon fed them on Fox News, right? But they're rejecting uh, those basic ideas. And um, that to me is a great sign. And it it means that that we can be hopeful. And and I will tell you, the the other thing is, and you look at you look at what we got done, uh, you know, in the last term of Congress with a 50 50 Senate. Two of those 50 were Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, uh, and a five vote more margin in the House. Yeah. And we passed more great uh, progressive legislation than uh, than than, you know, Obama or Clinton yep. passed in their entire eight years. I mean, it was such a remarkable uh, moment uh, in, in American history. Um, and, and uh, you know. I, I, think, I think back to both the, both the first two years of Obama, the first two years of Clinton, and, and I was in the Clinton White House. Um, we got some good things done, um, but we had huge margins, huge margins. Uh, and, we, and we still didn't pass anywhere near as much as we got passed in the, last, in the first two years of the Biden. Mm-hmm. So if we get that trifecta back and it's not that far away from, from us getting it back, I mean, I am I I I'd be so excited to see what we could get done um, with with just a with just a few more Democratic votes in, in the House and, and maybe one or two more in the Senate. Uh, I mean, it would be it would be amazing.
0: Yes, exciting to think about what we can do uh, with Cinema Mansion being less relevant, or maybe not even there. At least Cinema yeah. Mansion. Yeah. Mansion. Well, we won't go down that road. <laughs> yes, but uh, you know. mike thanks for being a listener and thank you so much for being a guest of our show um your perspective is so valuable and i'm very very grateful that you joined us today thank you so much
2: thank you we appreciate you too
1: very much yeah it's a thrill to have you mike love love your work
2: thank you any any time
1: Thank you for joining us today. This is How We Win. We win when we all get involved.
0: We would love to hear from you. Please send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or find us on social at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, at jenancona, and at jesscraven101, but not on Twitter.
1: Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share our show with your friends and family. There's always work
0: to do, so we will be back with some more next Wednesday.
1: Bye bye.